Girl Camper is sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Get an RV policy quote by calling 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or going to progressive.com backslash RV. And Go Little Guy Worldwide, whose full line of lightweight camping trailers are Girl Camper favorites. Hello, my name is Janine Pettit, and I'm a girl camper. I go places and I do things in my little 1966 Go Tag Along vintage travel trailer. Along the way, I meet many interesting people traveling the back roads, and I want to share their stories with you. We will talk about the qualities of what makes a girl camper and how you can become a girl camper too. The girl campers are having a party, and you're invited. Stay tuned while I share what's happening on the back roads of America the Beautiful. Welcome, I'm Janine Pettit, Girl Camping Ambassador, Blogger, Adventurist, and Podcaster. And this is Episode 58 of Girl Camper, the Podcast. Well, this week's show is all about camping and trailer know-how. Our recurring guest is Walter Cannon, the president of the RV Safety and Education Foundation. Walter has made a career of RV safety, and so many people have benefited from his over 40-year career. I met up with Walter at the Hershey RV Show and asked him the questions that the girl campers keep asking me. I also cover what I learned at Camper College this past weekend at Princess Craft RV in Round Rock, Texas. I'm sharing the collective wisdom of some industry giants. Stay tuned. Camper News Roundup is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Gazing at the stars and hanging at the campfire are best enjoyed with the bliss of saving money by adding an RV policy to another progressive policy like a car, motorcycle, or boat. Save money and set out on a new journey by calling 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or visiting progressive.com backslash RV. And then you can go on more journeys with all the money you saved. Well, in our news roundup today, I want to tell you about another successful camper college has been under our belt. We had a great time last Friday night at Princess Craft RV in Round Rock, Texas. And I just want to brag a little bit here about Princess Craft. So PJ Berger, who owns Princess Craft, flew home a day early from the RV Dealer Association convention out there in out in Las Vegas, in order to be with us. And I thank you for doing that, PJ. And it must have been really hard to leave because PJ was honored with one of the top 50 RV dealers in the country award. And as if that was not enough, she was awarded the Blue Ribbon Award for being one of the top five RV dealerships in the whole country. (laughs) So... That is a spectacular accomplishment, and those awards are based on service. And I always say this, anybody can sell you a trailer. The mark of a good dealership is service. So I was just so pleased to be there, and their whole staff was on board and so excited to have us. And as always, we learned so much. I got to meet so many Instagram and Facebook friends there, and I'm going to chat about that whole thing in our campfire chat because I say this all the time. I learn something new at every single camper college I go to, and it's been a lot of them. And there's a little part of me that always wants to sort of sneak out 
and sit in the back and scroll through my phone and check email and things like that while the talk is going on because I've heard it so many times. But I know better now because I always, always learn something. So thank you, Lindsay, and thank you, PJ at Princess Craft. What a spectacular night, and it was so much fun. And thank you for the great swag bags you gave everybody. Everybody got this really cool portable toolkit for their trailers. I took one. Usually I don't take things unless I really have a use for it. And that was really a great thing. So thank you again, Princess Craft. So our next Camper College is not going to be until January 20th at Tom's Camperland in Phoenix, in the Phoenix area. I'm not sure if it's right in Phoenix or right outside of Phoenix, but we're going to be talking about that down the line. I'm taking a little six-week travel break to enjoy my family and my home in the holidays. So when I get home from my last trip in November, I'm not going to be going anywhere until I go to Tom's Camperland in Phoenix for our next Camper College. So another thing I want to talk about is I just want to bring everybody up to date on our Tents for Troops. Really, in a one-month period, we have raised half of our goal, almost half of our goal. So right now we're at $4,565 of the $10,000 we are trying to raise in order to buy a travel trailer, which is going to be set up permanently at a campground on the West Coast. And this is a program that will allow... Um, active duty servicemen to come home and take a break with their wives and children and reconnect and just spend some downtime. The campgrounds offer the site for free and we're going to be purchasing with the RV Family Travel Atlas Podcast Network, Campground of the Week and RVFTA and the Girl Camper Show. We're raising the money to purchase this trailer. It's such a great cause and This is Veterans Day. I posted a little story about my dad on Instagram, and so many of you wrote such nice notes to me about that. I know so many of us have family and friends who have served, and this week of all week, if you had been thinking I should do that but you never did it, maybe this week is the week to show in a tangible way how grateful we are to our veterans and our active duty servicemen. So you can go to girlcamper.com or the RVFTA website, or you could just go to GoFundMe and put in RVFTA, and it'll take you to our fundraising campaign, Tents for Troops. We're almost halfway there. So if that's been something that's been on your mind and you've been meaning to do it, maybe this is the week you just want to do it. So when I leave here, I'm going to... um, I'm going to Little Rock, Arkansas for a couple of days, and I'm very excited about that. I don't want to talk too much about it because I'm going to tell you about it next week when I get back. But I'm getting to meet one and hopefully two of my girl camper following friends, my friend Linda Henderson, who is a spectacular photographer. She's going to take me on Saturday afternoon around to some of the places you might want to go if you join us on our upcoming trip there. And I'm also hoping my friend Deborah, who is celebrating a birthday this week, might find some time for me because Deborah lives in Little Rock and she is a Riverside Retro owner too and I'm hoping to just connect with her maybe just have a cup of coffee so I'm heading there when I get home from that trip I'm going to make Thanksgiving dinner and have that whole thing but then Stephanie Puglisi my producer and I are heading out on the Monday morning after Thanksgiving to the RVIA show in Louisville Kentucky That's the annual manufacturer show. It's the show in which all of the RV manufacturers show all of their new products to the RV industry. So RV dealers will be coming there to choose their new products. But in addition to that, all the aftermarket products, the things we need and buy for our trailers are there, as well as all the manufacturers who manufacture components that go into making RVs. It's the big, big, big industry show, and I'm excited to be going to it. We went last year, and we had a lot of fun. So Stephanie and I are going to be going to that, and we're going to be bringing home all kinds of information about what's happening in the RV industry. But a very exciting thing for me is that um, 
the guest speaker, every year they have a good, big Outlook breakfast. And the guest speaker this year is Captain Sully Sullenberg. He is the keynote speaker. He's that spectacular hero pilot who landed his disabled plane in the Hudson River and got everybody out okay. So that is going to be very exciting to me. And I'm going to be meeting up with Pat Bremer from the Small Trailer Enthusiast website, and I'm going to be interviewing him. I'm really excited to have him share all his knowledge with us about the small trailer world. This guy knows the stuff. <laughs> so it's just going to be fun to meet him because I've been following that blog for so long. I have a whole list of other people I'm meeting up with there. So that's what's going on travel-wise and stuff that's going to be coming up and showing up in the Girl Camper podcast in the weeks and months ahead. I'm going to be back in a minute, and I want to tell you what I learned at the latest Camper College. I always learn something new, so thank you. I'll be back in a minute. Campfire Chat is brought to you by Little Guy Worldwide. They're a proud sponsor of the Girl Camper Podcast and Little Guy Trailers are in the business of getting you into the great outdoors. They make camping easier and most of all more fun. Their trailers are all lightweight and easy to tow behind most vehicles. Plus they offer all the safety and security girl campers want. In addition to that, they're so fun to decorate, and they have all those great accessories that go with them. So check out littleguide.com or come to our next camper college, which will be at Tom's Camperland in Phoenix, Arizona on January 20th. So as always, I learn so much at Camper College. There's always this temptation on my part to sit in the back and answer emails, but I was there. I was paying attention. Everybody was taking so many notes. The staff at Princess Craft was on target. They were so knowledgeable. And let me tell you, PJ could have done that herself. She That is a woman who knows this business inside and out. So I made a little list of things that I learned. Um, some of them we've talked about before, but they always bear repeating. And I just wanted to go through some of the things. Some of them I never heard before, and some of them just bear repeating. So I'm just going to go through my little list of notes. One, the first thing, I don't think I ever heard this one before. When a trailer is brand new, you have to frequently check the lug nuts every time you use it. Now, I don't check mine very often at all and now I'm going to check them because I've driven mine around all summer and I'm going to pop off the half moons and see where they are. They probably need to be tightened because apparently when a trailer is brand new loosening of the lug nuts is a very common thing. One of the women there suggested this. If you took a sharpie black permanent magic marker and you tightened all your lug nuts to where you wanted them, you could draw a little line on the lug nut and then out across the rim. Then when you get where you're going, you could just see if these lines are still lined up or if they need tightening, then you could get out your wrench and tighten those. So I love that idea. So check that out. Go and check your trailer and see if they have... Um, if they're properly tightened. So another thing that Matt um, told us at the event was that you should only put distilled water in your batteries. So I always hear people say that you do, to make sure you check your batteries, especially if you're in really hot weather, overcharging and undercharging de uh, depletes the water in your battery. So make sure you check the water level, but I have never heard anyone say before that you should only put distilled water. That that struck my ears as new. Maybe I heard it before, but I just want to repeat that because I never heard that before. Another thing we talked a lot about at Camper College is what is happening when you're plugging in your camper at home in your driveway? Girl campers do this all the time. I think most family campers and, and men who have an RV that they might use for hunting or fishing don't go in the trailer when they're not using it. But girl campers, they live in their trailers in their driveway and backyard as much as they live in them in the campground. 
maybe even more because we all can't get away as much as we'd like and that's a little home for everybody so that whole thing and that idea of your home on wheels it's a refuge for women so I know so many women who will post pictures online and they're laying in their camper on a Friday night watching a movie or hanging out with girlfriends well when you have that trailer plugged in at home most trailers at a minimum I'm talking about the girl camper trailers because they're smaller is a, a 30 amp so most of your outlets at home are 15 to 20 amps so if you're plugging in your 30 amp plug into your uh, 15 to 20 amp circuit at home you should be all right unless you're going to run your air conditioner so I've been doing that I've been in my driveway working on the trailer and even though it's November it's still been in the 80s in high 70s and the trailer is sitting in the sun and very hot inside so I've been running the air conditioner on my 20 amp circuit in the garage nothing has happened so far but if I had used the microwave or somebody in the house used that same circuit it could have caused the breaker to go and then you would just have to throw the breaker but turning the breaker back on could also cause a power surge so you should have a power surge protector and if all possible you should have um, an, a plug with the proper ampage now Everybody loved my Aunt Sue when she was on the show. When I was at Aunt Sue's house and I parked in her driveway, she said to me, look what I have for you. You're going to love this. Her husband, Gordon, had put a 30-amp plug on the outside of their garage for when their trailer was parked in their driveway. I love that. Well, Gordon was a contractor. He was brilliant and he knew all these things. It was probably a 50-amp because they had a fifth wheel. So... I was plugged into Aunt Sue's and I could have done anything I wanted there. But you can't do that at home and that's something to think about. So I want to talk for a minute about power surge protectors. I never bought one. I haven't used one yet. And when Matt was explaining to us everything that could go wrong with a power surge, I really think it's important to go over these things. So... The, first of all, the things that could cause a power surge. You think it's just a lightning strike, but it's not just a lightning strike. So if you're thinking, I'm not in an electrical storm, I don't need a surge protector, a couple of other things could cause power surges. So first of all, you could have an internal power surge when you have too many things going on in your camper at one time. You could be the source of the power surge. But if it was an external source, more than lightning, it could be caused by um, a tree limb that hits um, a dead tree branch in the campground falling and hitting the power lines. That could cause the power surge. Another thing, and this is not uncommon at all, a little animal could get into the transformer box and they chew through the wires and that could cause an electrical surge. The other thing that can happen is it doesn't necessarily have to be the box that you're plugged into itself. It could be up the street. Lightning could hit the transformer box down the road and the entire campground could lose power. Well, when that power goes back on, it creates a huge surge. So even if you were not... Um, directly near where the lightning struck the transformer, you still could be in danger of that power surge. Now I have seen people at campgrounds, when the campground loses electricity in a storm, I've seen sisters on the fly who run out and go, I gotta unplug my trailer. And they will not plug their trailer back in until the electricity has been um, restored to the campground. So that's what they're trying to protect themselves from. But all of that being said, those are the reasons you could need one. These, those are the things that could happen. But here is how you can um, solve that problem. There's two kinds of surge protectors. One is just your basic surge protector. It's a device. It's not unsimilar to what you would put on your computer at home. Our neighbor lost everything in his house when lightning struck the ground in between his house and his neighbor's house. His TV literally exploded in his house. His computer was ruined, everything. Well, a regular surge protector wouldn't have helped him there. That's how bad that one was. But 
when you have a power surge in your neighborhood and you have the protector on your computer at home, when you just buy one of those strips to plug many things into and it has a surge protector on it, that's going to help your computer at home in the event of a lightning storm or electrical surge. It's the same thing at the campground. It's an inexpensive adapter. It's $100 for a 30 amp, $110 for a 50 amp. So you plug this in in the same way um, you would plug in something at home. It goes in the plug end and it goes in between the electrical box at the campground and your plug. So some of them have a little step down. It plugs into the box at the campground and there's a little wire and cord and then you plug into the bottom of that. That's your little protection against an electrical surge. But the that is just a simple surge protector like you would have at home for your computer. Now there's one that is a step up and this is called an electrical management system. So this is an expensive gadget. They had one at uh, Princess Craft and it was $350 and when I was full of vim and vigor I thought oh I'm going to get that thing because I'm not going to let anything happen to my camper. It was in such a big box I really couldn't have brought it home in my um, suitcase but I also thought my husband will want to research the daylights out of this thing before he makes a choice on which one to get. So I did it buy it. But there, this electrical management system checks for things other than just a simple surge protection. So other things could go wrong at the campground. There could be uh, a voltage coming into the box that's too high, a voltage that's too low in the box. There could be an open neutral, um, a frequency protection device that needs to be on it, and there's something else called 220 volt protection in case you plug your RV into the 220 volt um, adapter instead of the electrical outlet, the 110. So all of these things can really damage your trailer, but the electrical management system protector that you buy has lights that'll show you. So if you plug this in at the campground, it will show you open neutral. If there was an open neutral in there, some somebody came by and fixed something that didn't know what they were doing, and you don't want to plug your trailer into that. could cause a ton of damage. So it'll show you something that has been wired wrong or something that is wrong there. So that is an expensive thing. They run from $260 to $460. Not nearly expenses as what it would cost you if you fried your electrical system. And those things are not covered by insurance. So that's something to think about in surge protector world. The other thing that we learned is that somebody, we were talking about um, winterizing, and somebody said that her hose had all broken. Um, she had not taken off the, or drained, I'm sorry, the outdoor shower. So if you have one of those outdoor showers that it's hidden behind a little door, washing off the dog and spraying things and washing down the hose when after you've um, dumped the trailer, that outdoor shower, Matt said, just take the hose off, store it from the winter, just store it. Just take it off altogether, and then you don't have to worry about that. So my husband um, shut our trailer down, but I don't even think he thought. It didn't even occur to me, the outdoor shower. So when I get home, I'm going to get the key and take that thing off. Now, another thing we spent a lot of time on is the chemicals in the black water tank when it's winterized. So my husband always thinks we have to rinse, rinse, rinse the black tank all these many, many times. And my Aunt Sue taught me this too, that you always leave some water or something in your black tank. You never want the black tank to be completely empty. So Matt was discussing this with us and everybody had many questions. And he suggested that you put your leftover antifreeze um, into the black tank. You just flush it down the toilet, the leftover antifreeze, and that'll keep anything that's left in there from freezing. And Matt also suggested that you always, always have chemical in your tank. I was not doing this. So I would uh, empty the tank at a campground and I would leave a little bit of water in it, but I thought there's nothing in it but water, so I never put new chemical in it. So he said, you put that chemical in 
when you get to the campground and you put it in when you leave the campground. You always have chemical going in there and you can put the water and chemical in there over the winter. I mean, you're not going to fill it up because then it could expand and freeze and break, but you would have a couple inches of water in there and still have chemical in there or you could just put the leftover antifreeze in there. So I have to go home and ask my husband now. I truly tried to disengage from that whole thing. <laughs> but now I'm going to have to go home and see if he did that. I thought that was a great tip. Now, one of the other things I asked when I was there at um, Princess Craft is about my air conditioner. So they have every model of trailer there. They had so many different brands it, it, it was really a field day and I can't even explain to you what they're doing with truck trailers now. These truck trailers had slide outs on either side, the square footage that's in the back of a truck trailer now. I can't wait to show you all that from the um, Louisville show. But they had so many different trailers there, but they ha all have one thing in common, and that is that most of them, I'd say 95% of them, have the bottom of the line Dometic air conditioner on the roof. Now, here's the thing. It gets cold, which is what you want an air conditioner to do. It definitely chills the camper down. It's so loud, though. It sounds like a plane landing. You can't keep it on when you're sleeping at night. You have a pillow over your head. It is so loud. So I thought to myself, I would be willing to spend money on an air conditioner that was quiet if it was quiet so I asked uh, Matt and the staff at um, Princess Craft and they had a suggestion for me they talked about how simple it is to actually upgrade your air conditioner it's like replacing a doorknob everybody is afraid to do it because they think if you take that original one off there's going to be some leak in there and you're not going to be able to ever get that sealed the way that it was and then your camper will be leaking I loved this because PJ was explaining to us, it's a 14-inch hole in that uh, camper ceiling. It's 14 inches no matter what. Every air conditioner is designed to fit into that 14-inch thing. If you know anything about plumbing, there's a round um, rubber seal that goes on the bottom of a toilet when you have to replace your toilet. Well, there's something much the same thing. It's a standard piece. It goes in between your air conditioner and the roof of your trailer. And, and once you squeeze that down and bolt it, it does not leak. So that was a big load off my mind because I really have it in my head that next year that big treat I want to do for myself. This year we got the tankless hot water system, but next year I would really like to upgrade to a really smooth, quiet air conditioner. So they suggested the Atwood Air Command. So I'm going to go online and look that up, but I was very excited to know that these things are easily replaced as long as the electric and it's reinforced. If you're taking one out, it's already been reinforced and there's electric there, so it should be a no-brainer. So that's what I learned at Camper College. I'm so full of camper knowledge. <laughs> Thank you again, Princess Craft and PJ and Matt and Lindsay and your wonderful staff there. I can't wait to come back again. We're going to be back in a minute with Walter Cannon, who's going to have even more information for us because so many times the girl campers ask questions and then there's just all those questions I pick up when I'm sitting around the campfire and we girls are talking, we're talking trailer trash. We're talking about the things that matter in trailers and I had those questions in my head and I asked Walter to answer them for us. So we're going to be back in a minute with our guest, Walter Cannon. Welcome back, listeners. I am here today with our friend of the show, Walter Cannon, the Executive Director of the RV Safety Education Foundation. Did I say that right, Walter? You did. 
I thought so. It's a long name, but you got it right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a long name for a big, important job. So, Walter, you were here with us last year when you and I met. I, I've seen you speak at RV shows many times. But last year, when I think we were at the Louisville show, uh-huh. I interviewed you and we did that thing on uh, matching your trailer and safety weight and what's the difference in gross safety weight and towing capacity. We talked about all those issues. Mm-hmm. But, sure did. but today I was going through my listener emails and I thought it would be great if I could get you to answer some of the questions that I get in the mail that I do not dare answer. <laughs> Well, I'll give it a try. Okay, so one of the things talked about around the campfire is this, tire inflation. So here's the conversation we were having sitting around the campfire the other day. Two weeks ago, we were camping in New Jersey. It was so hot out still. It's been such a hot summer. So we were talking about air pressure and the PSIs, and we were saying that my tow vehicle has a PSI of 44 pounds per tire. It was extremely hot out in the high 90s. So when I took the trailer to have air put in the tires, my husband put it all the way up to the max, 44 pounds. Now, I was told that when the weather is very hot, the roads are black, the tires generate heat immediately, and that expands them, and now the tires are overinflated. So some people will tell you to underinflate them. Some people will tell you to go a little over. What are your thoughts on this? Well, you never underinflate a tire. You always inflate your tires to the proper air pressure, whatever that is. If it's 44 at what is called ambient temperature, cold air pressure. Cold doesn't mean temperature. Cold means that a tire has not been driven. It's been driven less than a mile. So if yours requires 44, it should be have 44 PSI in it. If the temperature is 30 degrees outside or if the temperature is 90 degrees outside, you should always start at 44. The tire is supposed to heat up. That's how it does its job. If it doesn't run through its heat cycle, the tire won't last as long. So the tire will heat up as hot air, as the air heats up, hot air expands and uh, the air pressure will go up. It is supposed to. Once you've driven your unit a mile or more, you cannot check the air pressure anymore because it will not give you a good reading. It's going to read high. You can't let air out of the tire. So you always check it before you drive, whatever that temperature is. Before you drive, you check it and then you let it do what it's supposed to do. So don't make it too complicated. Sometimes you, ch- you look at these things with tires and, and it's just it becomes a very complicated uh, procedure and that's why a lot of times people don't do what they should do. It's they feel it's just too complicated. Set the air pressure before you drive, and at whatever that temperature is, you set it for the 44 or 35 or 80, whatever that number is, you set it at that, and and it'll do its own thing. Okay, so bring it right up to that, hot or cold, no matter what, and don't worry about it if it's super hot out and the tires become more inflated. They're designed to withstand that. Right. They're actually designed to do that. That's how they carry the extra load when the tire gets hot. Okay, so, uh, and, and we have to assume the tire industry knows this stuff. And so we just have to do what we're told. Just that, yeah, yeah. We, we can safely assume they knew what they were doing. Okay, so now, what, suppose I'm on a six-day trip, and I'm going far. I'm going to drive cross-country. I'm going to be driving 10 hours a day. How often should we be checking our tires on a trip? Uh, tire Industries recommends that you check the inflation pressure on your tires every driving day. Um, And that's, I know that sounds a little crazy, but uh, things can happen. You could pick up a nail coming into the campground and have a slow leak. Well, you don't know that if you didn't check the air pressure today. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and if you have dual tires on your truck or something like that, uh, you really don't know what one of those tires is doing, particularly the inside. So you should check the air pressure in your tires every driving day. That's the standard. Okay. So here's another question a a viewer, uh, a listener wrote in and said to me, they wanted to know uh, about an incident that happened to me a few weeks ago. So I was on the George Washington Bridge. I never saw any signs that said I could not take propane. I was thinking I couldn't take propane across the bridge, but then I was thinking everybody is crossing this bridge with campers behind them every single day. But what happened with me is I got on the bridge for the lower level and I was stopped and told I could cross the bridge with propane, but it had to be on the upper level. And I was worried, you know, that I was going to get some kind of ticket or something. And and the toll booth um, man said to me, there is no sign. It's not your fault. They very nicely brought 
a lead truck over and they took me around the back way and got me on the upper bridge and I crossed. So that got me to thinking about road use laws and I know there is a section on your website about that. Could you speak to us about what road use laws are? Um, yes, I sure can. Uh, we do we do some education work with road use laws. Road use laws are restrictions put on the roads for weight, for propane, for widths, for heights, and things like that. It's it's a safety thing. With the propane, because propane is a highly flammable material, it is heavier than air, so they would not want you on the bottom. So a lot of times you can't take propane through a tunnel. In uh, the tunnels in Baltimore, you cannot take propane at all. The Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel, you can go through with propane as long as your propane is turned off, and you have to stop and turn the propane off. So because otherwise it'll settle in the bottom of the tunnel or at the bottom of the bridge or wherever and become a, an issue. Road use laws apply to everyone. A lot of people think road use laws only apply to commercial vehicles. Uh, they do not. They apply to everyone. Uh, the best way that I can tell you to stay abreast of the road use laws is you're doing a little homework before you go someplace. Uh, the trucker's atlas is like the Rand McNally trucker's atlas and some of the others, but it's the trucker's atlas, which will give you the information on where you can take propane, where you can't take propane, where you're allowed to be uh, 102 inches wide or 96 inches wide, low overpasses, low tunnels, uh, all those kinds of things are all in the uh, are in the trucker's atlas. It's not just a regular road map book, but what is called the trucker's atlas. Is that trucker's atlas online or do you have to buy the book? I believe that it is online. As you know, I'm pretty old school. I still use the mm -hmm. book. I know how to read a map. Yeah. and I, uh, I like the books too. Yeah, I, I, I buy the book. Uh, I don't buy one every year, but every two or three years I buy a new one just in case something has changed. Not often do, do things change, but you know, a 20-year-old book is probably not as accurate as a, as a book that's only a year or so old. So, What other kind of uh, road use laws might there be that a trailer tower would be need to be aware of? What about chains? Well, there are safety every chains. every state has its uh, has its own regulations about safety change brakes. What at what weight brake do you need brakes? All those kinds of things. One of the places that I go to check those kinds of things, I go to a website called uh, TowingWorld.com, and they list state by state the requirements. Are you allowed to double tow? Do you need safety change? Do you uh, what what are the weight requirements for brakes? Now they don't do the regular road use law things, but they do those those requirements. Requirements for towing um, either a travel trailer or a fifth wheel or towing a car behind a motorhome, whichever you might be doing. Okay. And it's called Towing World, and I use it a lot. Okay. All right. So that's something for us to look up. I want to go back to the propane issue for a minute, okay? There's always debate among the girl campers about the use of propane while you're towing. My feeling is, and when I talk to manufacturers, that RVs are designed to be used with the propane on while you're towing. So what I normally do is tow, uh, plug in my camper the night before I leave on a trip so my refrigerator is nice and cold. Then I load it with cold food and I put my propane on and I drive with the propane on. A lot of people are afraid to do this. So, so what is your thought on the use of propane while driving? Well, I have to pull my safety hat down pretty tight for this one. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is what you can do and what from a safety standpoint would be your best bet are two entirely different things. Uh, we do not recommend that you drive with your propane on. Okay. Um, we don't because if there is an incident on the road uh, and you have a propane line break, you could it could cause some serious injury whether it be whether it be an accident whether it be road debris our RVs are designed to have um, some safety factors built in they, we have what are called excess flow valves on all of our propane which if the line completely severs and you get a lot of propane coming out the excess flow valve automatically shuts off so there's no propane coming out of the tank okay um, and that's a safety factor however if you if you get a, a small hole in a line or something like that it won't shut off because you have to have enough flow to run your your furnace your stove your refrigerator all at one time so it won't it only senses an excess flow the line is severed a big flow um, is it is it safe? There's, there's a lot of controversy about that. I mean, everybody has their own opinion. From our side of it, we drive without the propane on. 
Uh, now we do uh, a modern RV refrigerator, a modern RV refrigerator, and I know that that your group runs the gamut of, of what's out yes, there. Yes, they do. So we have uh, the vintage trailer people who don't really have two ways to begin with. Those are usually retrofitted with a college dorm kind of refrigerator. And, and that works out fine. But a modern RV refrigerator should be able to maintain its temperature in 90 degree weather for 8 to 10 hours without any problem, as long as you're not opening and closing the doors. So it's not really necessary it's to It's not have. really necessary, correct. And like you say, with the college dorm type or the replacement type, uh, you plug them in, you get them cold when on the electric, and as long as you don't open and close the door, they'll stay cold. Okay, so you've cleared up something for me because I have been driving with my non, but you know what I think I'm going to do now? I am going to see how cold my food is if I don't. That, uh, it would be it an interesting, just, just uh, throw a thermometer in there and, and check, check it one day, see just how things are working. Because depending on your refrigerator and the age and the insulation in it and things like that, I mean, everything varies, as I say. And I, I always I use that term, the modern RV refrigerator, because the refrigerators built 15 years ago, didn't, we did not have the same insulation technology that we have today. As technology changes, things get better. You know, mm -hmm. it's the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. So um, it would be a good idea to check yours. And if you have to run with the propane oil, I would not worry about it. Um, if the if the flame blows out, um, you know, because you hit a crosswind or something like that, uh, the refrigerator will shut its own propane valve off so you won't be leaking propane that way. It's only in case of an emergency, which, you know, it, the chances of that happening are probably slim, but you know, if you're the one in a million chances that it does happen to right. you, then you, you know, the best bet is to have prepared for that. Because you see things online about um, RV fires, you know, and I always read those articles, and but they seem to be older campers. Whenever I take the time to read the article, it seems to be an old trailer that someone is still using, and maybe that wasn't properly maintained. Modern new trailers have a lot of safety features in them that the older trailers didn't have. And, and of course, they don't have the wear and tear. That's true. And, and I agree with you on a lot of the things I see about fire. Uh, generally speaking, fires in RVs are rare. When you consider that right today there are almost 9 million households own an RV in the U.S. So that's a lot of RVs. Yes. And so the number of fires we have, if you look at 9 million houses, we would have more house fires than we have RV fires. But because of the RV, the construction and the way it is, it doesn't take a lot of fire and everything's destroyed, mm -hmm. just the way it is. Um, I, I agree with you that when I see these things posted and I look at them and, I, and, and being in the business as long as I have and being in the safety side of the business, I look these things over pretty closely. And I, I would agree with you that a lot of them seem to be older units, probably not well maintained. Uh, propane fires, I don't think, are the biggest culprit. I think that the biggest culprit for units like that is an electrical fire uh, from a faulty cord or something or uh, using an extension cord that wasn't properly grounded or has been damaged or something like that and draws too much heat and things like that. Now when we talk about motorized units we do see some fires you know that are caused by other things and of course we all know about the refrigerator fires that we have seen over the recent years uh, but those don't really have anything to do with traveling with the propane on. I mean, that's not, the, the cause isn't, isn't that. It's, it's some other things that go on in there. And, um, you know, fire extinguishers, I, I actually have a fire extinguisher in my refrigerator compartment. I've never had a problem. I don't expect to have a problem. I check things over, keep it maintained. Um, and I don't think I'll ever have an issue. But, you know, you just never know. So, you know, an ounce of prevention, as they say. Um, but I agree with you 100% that most of them seem to be older units that were probably not maintained well. And a lot of times people make modifications. And um, as you know, you know me and you know where I come from in the industry and I work within the industry. And uh, other guys that work with me like Gary Bunger and some of the other guys, uh, we see modifications made. And RVs are not like your house. Even though the wiring looks the same, the plug looks the same, everything looks the same, it's not the same as your house. And if you start tinkering on things or modifying things that are in the way you would do it in your house, it may not be compatible to your RV because when you look at your RV, your house has a big long copper pipe that is driven into the ground for the ground. Mm -hmm. Your RV does not have one of those. Okay. So it's called bonded. Um, it, and so it is. it has to be wired differently because we do not have that 
that ground bond of a rod that is grounding everything into the ground. Which in case of an unexpected electrical charge takes the energy and drives, drives it, into it into the, the ground. ground. Exactly. Lightning and things like right. that. Uh, but even even if there is a, for some reason, a, a failure in a cord or something where we get power across the ground, it has no, it has no ground to go to. It mm-hmm. goes through the system, which is grounded to the chassis. You understand what I'm saying? We, it, it's okay. just different because it's on wheels. I'm glad you brought this up, Walter, because it actually has to do with my next question. So, one of the women. How did we know that? <laughs> Were you looking at my notes? <laughs> one of the women wrote to me, and she said she was in her trailer, a, a newer trailer, a couple years old, and she was at, at a campground in a really violent electrical storm, and she was terrified, and she couldn't decide whether she was safer in the trailer or safer in her car or she should go up to the building but she looked around and nobody else was getting out of um, their cars so is a trailer as safe to be in and in an electrical storm as your house or or your car what would your thoughts be on a very severe storm I'm not talking about a thunderstorm with a rumble a rumble of thunder she was in a very heavy lightning storm uh, in a very heavy storm, a heavy lightning storm, very close lightning to you, and you're you're no doubt safer in a house or in a regular constructed building because of just the way, again, we have that ground rod. If lightning mm-hmm. strikes it, we have a place for that to go. Not always does that happen because we, we certainly hear and read about house fires caused by lightning uh, when it strikes a house and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, your RV, there are so many things about the RV that, that then become an issue. It's not just a one subject thing. Um, if, the, um, if the lightning strikes close to you, it can come through the ground into the pedestal. The campground yeah. pedestal. Yeah. If it strikes the transformer close to you, it can come through that pedestal and through the wiring into your RV. Uh, as far as lightning striking the RV, there is no no bigger or less chance of it striking your RV than striking your car. That would be an equal. Okay. Uh, we think about it. We always said when I was growing up in a big thunderstorm, big lightning storm close by, everybody go get in the car because of the rubber tires. Well, our rubber tires are grounded today. Yes. They're not the same as they used to be. A lot of them have steel belts in them, steel in them. But there are some grounding because that that's one of the technologies that, that isn't visible when you look at it. But how tires get better fuel economy is by dissipating static electricity, which means it has to get rid of it into the ground, the road, the ground surface, mm-hmm. whatever that is. So uh, there are some... there. There is really little or no difference between being in your RV and being in uh, your and, trailer, and being in your trailer or being in your car. But uh, your trailer is plugged into an electric now it source, and in, your car right, isn't. And your car isn't. So as long as the car isn't also connected to the trailer, yeah. uh, you know, you still have it hooked up. And the trailer also. I'm looking at this trailer where we're sitting here, and it's got uh, metal jacks that are going down to the ground. So that would that would give the ability for that lightning to seek ground. To discharge. Yeah. Well, and, and lightning is lightning is looking for all electricity, is looking for a place to go to ground. It's seeking a ground. That's why people get struck with, by lightning and it exits through their feet or something like that, because it is going to go to ground on its own if it has to. So if it strikes your trailer and there's no, and there is no way for it to get to ground, it will arc across something to get to ground. Um, the chances, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be one of those people. Uh, I would never promote that. You know, if it's a big thunderstorm, you got to get out of your RV, you got to get into a shelter, you got to do this, you got to do that. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily true. No more chance of you getting struck in your your trailer than it is in your house. Okay. Uh, so it, it's not it's not that kind of an issue. I would tell you that if you are afraid to the point of anxiety go to a building just for yourself just for yourself there's no because sense you in giving yourself a heart attack right um a big, it, it, just do it and, mm-hmm. and and um and just feel comfortable with doing that you know it, it just depends on um on your personal feelings but yeah i okay. would not i would not risk an anxiety attack just to stay in my trailer if there was a building close by Walter, thank you for coming on today. Uh, these are questions that come in and people talk about them, and it's just good hearing it from you. And I appreciate your wisdom on all these things all the time. And and I got to tell you, I, I'm taking something away. My takeaway from this conversation is what you just said a few minutes earlier about the electrical in your camper. 
So I just bought a new camper and it doesn't have enough plugs in it. And my husband said, oh, I can open this little door on the bottom of the fridge here. I could go in and cut into the wire and I'll add a plug on this wall. Well, there's no way I'm letting him do that now. <laughs> well, could you do that? I'm not saying you can't do that. Uh, but I am saying, and, and, and installing an extra plug, the wiring is basically the same as long as you don't reverse the wires and get reverse polarity or something like that. So that could be done. However, it is certainly not recommended because most cases, our RVs, the circuit is full. Okay. Because we don't have a lot of, you, you don't right. have a lot of, your house has 200 amps of electricity right. coming into it. Your RV, what is yours, 30 amp? Yes, it is. At 30, so you, you look at there's 30. There's a reason there's only three plugs. That's the reason there's only three plugs, that's right. And two of them are in the ceiling where you can't, you can't reach, reach them. them. That's exactly right. That's right. They only put one in the bathroom because they don't want you using the blow dryer and the curling iron at the same time. I know. That's right. That's right. Well, you know what my feeling, too, is, you know what? Don't mess around with it. Take it to your dealer and have them do it. Uh, I, I agree with that 100%. As you well know that myself and the guys that I work with, uh, we are firm believers in certified technicians doing the work uh, mm -hmm. because they, they are trained, they should be trained on how the system works and things like that. Uh, individual plugs is not as big an issue as when people start doing other kinds of wiring that involves the panel box. Uh, I'm not going to get into that yes, because I it's understand. too complicated, but we don't, uh, we're not wired the same way the house is wired. So okay. it, it it could be a problem. If there's anything that I would I would emphasize as far as electrical is concerned, is always make sure that your cord, your shore power is in good shape. Whether it's the shore power from your RV, whether it's an extension cord, you pull into a friend's house, you're going to spend a couple mm -hmm. of nights with them, they don't have a regular outlet, you're going to have to plug into a household outlet, you're going to have to size it down. Um, all of that starts to create heat. And okay. you can sometimes feel that. You're running your air conditioner right. in your RV, and you've got a small extension cord running into your friend's garage and plugged yeah. in. You grab that extension cord, and it's hot. really hot. And that's how that's how a lot of electrical fires start. Okay. You know what? That's, that's very good to know, Walter, because I, I don't use much in mine. And I, even though in mine it's 30 amp, if the air conditioner is on, I cannot run my, I can run my microwave, but that's it. I can't turn on my microwave and my toaster and have the air conditioner right. running. Something's got to go. Right. Well, yeah, when you look at that, an air conditioner is going to draw uh, running amps. It's going to be somewhere around 15 amps, half of your right. entire power running. When the yeah. compressor starts, it's going to spike up to sometimes 27, 28 amps. So you've used up everything you have you available to you just to get the air conditioner running. So if the microwave is on at the same time, there's always these tricks that we RVers right. have. Yeah. If you know, I've been RVing a long yeah. time. We have to. So I, I make sure that the air conditioner is off before I turn the microwave and the, and the water heater on, the you know, thing. and all those kinds yeah. of things. So yeah, and uh, depending on the size of your components, it, it, it's a, it, it truly, RVing is truly an exercise in management. Yes, okay. <laughs> in lots and lots of ways, it's an exercise in yeah. management. Yeah. yeah. Well, Walter, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Anytime, and, you know that, and uh, we always seem always to get together, to yeah, it's whenever all, we're in the same place uh, at the same time. I know, when, when I, my trip got diverted and I found out I was going to be here. I went right on to see if you were here and thank you for texting me back right away. <laughs> Not a problem. I, I appreciate you. it. All right. And anything I can help you with, as you well know, just Well, please. you know what? By the time we get to Louisville, I'll have a whole new set of questions for you. Well, I'll have a whole new set of answers. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the same answer. Well, well, maybe. I hope the right answers anyway. <laughs> well, we can count on you for that, Walter. So thank you. And thank I, you. I'll see you in Louisville. 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 Yes, Louisville. Yes, <laughs> okay. to thank my guest Walter Cannon. It's always a pleasure to see you Walter. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to seeing you in Louisville in a few weeks. I'd also like to thank my sponsor Progressive Insurance and Little Guy Worldwide. Little Guy Worldwide is the girl camper favorite and they have a trailer for everyone. Visit their site and see their trailers at littleguy.com or go to the nearest showroom near you. I'd like to thank my producer, Stephanie Puglisi, for producing this show. Stephanie and her husband can be heard every Wednesday on Campground of the Week and every Friday on the RV Family Travel Atlas podcast. Thank you so much for being with me this week. I'll see you next week. Happy trails!